You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from ESPN.com, Chad Dundas. And joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's Ben Folks. Ben, how are you doing this week? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, man. I'm doing pretty well. We're in another one of those weird weeks where uh, where there's no UFC show, which uh, there's only seems like there's only two of them this this year. So we're in we're in kind of an, a transitional period, I guess you would say. Yeah, you know, and it's like some kind of mean drug dealer that just oh hey Wednesday night UFC event, Saturday night UFC event, next week don't even hear from them. Well, see, they give us a taste for free. Yeah. And once we start coming back, then they then they start charging. Wait, no, they've been charging us the whole time. Yeah. Except but for these free ones that are in the middle of the week. All I know is that I just keep sitting in dark rooms scratching my skin a- until it bleeds. See, Do we you think com- that's related or is that something else? That's probably just a skin condition, okay. man. Uh, we, uh, we complained early on about this UFC schedule, but now they seem to have succeeded in turning us into a bunch of tweakers. Especially those of us that that ostensibly make a living writing about the sport. For one week, there's too much to write about, and the next week, you're just like, Jesus, now what the hell are we going to write about? Stuff about ring girls. That's right. Articles about ring girls. That's ring girl photo galleries. Yep. Boom. Call it a day. That's that's link bait right there. <laughs> that is link bait. S- still don't even really know what that is. No, but. you don't. Well, Ben, this week's music for the podcast comes to us courtesy of listener Till Breidenbach and his straight-edge hardcore band, Luca Brazi. That's a kind of an awesome name for that a straight-edge hardcore band. It is an awesome name, obviously named after the uh, the hitman in The Godfather, who's killed early in the movie, but has a, oh, fuck, spoiler alert. a larger part Shit. of the book. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, we'll put links up on comainevent.com to uh, to Luca Brasi's music for those of you that, that like what you hear and want to find more of it. As usual, this week's show comes to you in three rounds. In round number one, in a show of awesome professionalism, George St. Pierre and Johnny Hendricks both agree there should be some extra drug testing leading up to their bout at UFC 167. And in a show of totally normal MMA bush leaguedness, they cannot agree on who should do it. And in round number two, with ratings slumping across the board, the UFC rolled out the debut episode of Tough 18 this week, which might as well have been subtitled exactly like every other tough, only now with ladies. And in round number three, has Bellator's PR problem finally reached that terminal, inoperable stage when they should just say fuck it and start making meth with a former student? All that, plus, are you fucking kidding me? And um, Master Tweet Theater is happening this week. Yes, right? it is. Yeah, we got Sir Nigel Bet here. He's going he's gonna to do that. We're also going to do Just Saying Stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail, mail this week, Ben, comes to us from The Great Dane, who writes, CagePotato.com had a recent post where they referenced the relationship between the UFC and the MMA media as the carrot leading the horse. I understand there may be some bias at Cage Potato due to the UFC telling Ben Goldstein he would, quote, fuck him worse than he's ever been fucked before, but do you feel the article is an accurate dep- depiction of the UFC's use of the MMA media? Ben Folks. We got two Bens referenced here, so yeah. let's just keep it straight. We got to keep it, you know, keep it clear. Early in your career, did you ever feel pressure to be quote unquote kinder to the UFC than you wanted to be, so you could continue to write articles for the UFC magazine? 
I've also written articles for the UFC magazine, but I guess I'm chopped liver. Yeah. Here. I'm just going to totally ignore you. What? I think you've written more articles for the UFC magazine than I have. Yeah, probably way more. Thanks, Great Dane. Uh, what is the general sentiment of the MMA media toward the UFC? Are they accepting of their power because they know overall they are expanding the sport? Is there a behind-the-scenes disdain for the UFC media practice, or does everyone just kowtow to them? I feel like this is a, an interesting topic in general because there's a lot of misunderstanding about it. Uh, it always seems to me like media in particular is one of those industries where people think that I am a consumer of it, therefore I am an expert on it, like how it actually works. And you see the same thing with a lot of people who are kind of like, you know, don't really work full-time in the MMA media. Maybe they write some freelance articles here or there, and yet will have you believe that no one understands it better than they uh, who don't even really totally do it. Uh, but like for the UFC magazine thing, for instance, yes, I think I wrote two or three articles for the UFC magazine, eventually stopped doing it. Uh, one because it is a little bit too close to the sun uh, for me, a little bit uncomfortable, even though you don't really, you don't deal with the UFC when you write something for the UFC magazine. You, they, they go through a, a publishing company, you deal with the editor of that, you, you know, you don't actually ever hear anything from the UFC. And I never heard anything where they say, hey, change this, make it more like this. I mean, if they wanted to change something, they'd just change it, you know, uh, after I gave it to them. So it's not really that close relationship. And probably the greater reason why I stopped writing for them is they seem to only give you late notice assignments, um, which I find annoying. Uh, but I can see how in people's minds that they think that there's way more of a connection that they tell you like, Hey, make us look awesome or something. And it's not really like that. And as for like the media practices, a lot of people I think seize on this idea that the UFC is just constantly out there threatening people's credentials and that that just scares the shit out of everybody. Um, and I don't think that that's as big a deal as people think it is. For one thing, I don't think the UFC does that as often anymore. Their their media policies have changed a lot, and their their people, the UFC employees who deal with the media, are different now, different people now than they were five years ago, um, or and, six and or seven years ago. Easier to work with, much easier to work with, and much more professional about it. Um, so I feel like that has changed since the era when people were felt like tiny little misstep. There goes your credential. I mean, that's yeah. Just me. well, I mean, when you think about it, there's really not a huge number of people that they categorically refuse to deny credentials to. Uh, and, you know, uh, I would even say, I know that, that, that people who largely make a living off doing their live coverage of the UFC do worry about that, getting their credentials yanked. But like in 2013, it almost doesn't even matter yeah. anymore. Like there's so much stuff online that unless you're one of these guys, who's going to go uh, and stay up all night, like working extra interviews and doing, doing tons of legwork to, uh, uh, to to get you know exclusive content for your site, which is what the guys who are really really good do. Uh, you can do all of the same stuff that you would do on the ground at the UFC from home. Yeah, like the the press conferences are online, the media scrums are online, all the prelims the, are viewable. The open workouts are 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 usually videos surface of that. Uh, and yeah, like you said, all the fights are online. So you know, to me, it's it's something that I don't even worry about. Like it, it's I don't. I don't really care about it, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if they told me, yeah, fuck you, you can't have credentials anymore. I mean, it, it might mess with me a little bit. But, yeah, I don't think it would drastically change uh, my job that much. Because, like you said, yeah, I mean, also, when you're at, when you're working a UFC event, the, the things that you get to see and, and people you get to talk to, the UFC does a pretty good job of, of controlling that. So it's not even... 
like not only is it that everybody at home can see the same fights that you can see and see the same press conferences and interviews and stuff when you're at the event uh it's tough to get to see and talk to anybody they don't want you to you know yeah. they they shuffle those people into the media room and shuffle them out and everybody kind of gets the same opportunities there um so it's not like it gives you a huge advantage to be on the ground there at the UFC events and in a way that this is a really broad question that has been asked and and almost one that I feel like is is hard to answer in a really concise way not only because there are a lot of different topics that we could break down inside the the overall question to talk about but also because the 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 what we think of as quote unquote MMA media is so broad. It's right. like a complete grab bag in this sport, largely because the the sport grew up and still continues to live largely on the internet. Uh, but you know, when you say MMA media, you could you could mean almost anything, almost any uh, person who is like you know, just barely even associated with the sport and like has a Twitter account and likes to repeat the quote unquote breaking news that their buddy tells them. Uh, that is that person in the MMA media is that person considered on on par with with John Morgan from MMA Junkie who's you know works his ass off to to I think do a really good job covering covering the sport and to write uh, balanced articles and and, uh, and do a really professional job you know I would argue no but I think when you just use that blanket statement MMA media you 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 refer to a lot of different entities yeah and if you just want to talk shit about the MMA media. Uh, it's like a fun thing to do, like on Twitter and just be like, oh, fucking MMA media. And again, who are you referring to? Like the people who do it full time and actually have to answer to somebody or the people who just started up a website and can do whatever the hell they want and uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're right that there is, that does cover a lot of ground. Uh, but also I think like it always has struck me that people are really sensitive to any kind of perceived connection between like people in the MMA media and the UFC. Like if you work for some company that has some sort of arrangement with the UFC, then, you know, people jump on you. And then it's like, you'd never see it though when some organization does the same thing for Bellator or that used to do it for Strikeforce. Uh, for some reason, it's like, well, that's okay. You know, you're, you're helping out the little guy. Uh, and But then any kind of perceived thing, you know, I, how many times in the comment section, you're either a UFC shill or a UFC hater. Sometimes both on the same story. Sometimes from both. different commenters. Occasionally, or the same commenter, I don't know. Occasionally also a Zufa nut hugger. <laughs> yeah, you are a Zufa nut hugger, though. <laughs> that's that's true. That part is true. How dare you? Uh, yeah, that, and you know, that's, it's... Uh, like I said, it's it's a really broad question. I feel like that the the UFC has this reputation for being sort of heavy handed in how it controls coverage of of its events, and in some cases, I think it's been guilty of that, and in some cases, I think that it's been it's been pretty professional. And uh, we should also point out that to think that that doesn't happen in other sports is just wrong. Right? Like if you've ever been to an NFL training camp or an NFL press conference or anything like that, which you have, didn't you? Almost get fired over? I did. I'm a, <laughs> I almost got fired over over. Uh, well, I didn't get fired. I almost got my credential revoked by the Seattle Seahawks for a question of, or for a story that I wrote about Matt, Matt Hasselbeck that I wrote when I wasn't supposed to write it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all of these professional sporting entities use the the, the media to uh, enhance their own public perception and to, to promote their events and stuff like that. It just seems to me like a lot of times the UFC is just a lot more upfront about that. You know, they seem to, to be pretty... Uh, upfront about the fact that they essentially want to use the media to promote themselves. Fighters will say that, you know, yeah. like I'm doing this interview to promote myself. Well, you know, I don't mind when fighters say it because I feel like it is kind of an unequal thing where, Hey, you're asking this fighter, Hey, will you give me a couple minutes on the phone for an interview? 
I'm working when I'm doing that. You know, this is my job. I'm getting paid for it. If I'm writing a freelance story on it, then it's there's a direct connection between the time I'm asking you for and the money I will receive for doing it. And there's not that same thing for the fighter. For them, it's a little more nebulous. They have to be seeing it as an opportunity to you know, increase their visibility and their marketability and, and eventually down the road, their bottom line. Because um, otherwise, why wouldn't they just tell us to fuck off all the time? They don't want to take 15 minutes to talk right. to us on the phone. And yeah, well, I, and what I'm saying is that that relationship has always existed between the media and public figures in every walk of life. The thing about MMA is that I feel like people just oftentimes come out and say it. Dana White, yeah, has come in the out and past, said it. You know, they they would pretend or either work to try to establish this sort of like uh, co collegial relationship. Whereas I think in MMA, people are more likely to just come out and say, yeah, I want to promote myself. Let's do this interview. Well, you know, but I think that, again, the, the UFC outside of Dana White has gotten a lot better about that. And, you know, every once in a while, if I'll write something and I might get a call from somebody in the UFC about it, but it's never like, hey, look here, you asshole, do this or we'll do this. Never has that happened. Uh, it's more like. I disagree with you on the following points, or I think that you didn't fully explain this, or you don't understand this aspect of it, and we'll talk about it. And we might still not agree, but I've never had a situation where the UFC is telling me, like, all right, we're mad that you wrote this, and therefore these are going to be the consequences we're going to try and exact on you. That just doesn't happen. I think maybe people assume that that happens, um, but I, I feel like, if anything, right now the UFC has the kind of people that can have an, an open conversation with you about it, um, but without being assholes. I don't know if we fully answered that question, but we better move on because yeah. we talked about it a lot. Uh, the second piece of listener mail this week comes from Spencer Kielamakia. I nailed, nailed that. it. Did you Absolutely notice that? Absolutely nailed it. Did you notice it. how I nailed yeah. that? He writes, I recently read a New Yorker essay by Malcolm Gladwell that addressed the PED issue in sports. Though Gladwell doesn't consider any contact sports in this piece, I wonder about the underlying questions he poses. It seems to me that those ethical concerns over what constitutes medicine that can be considered quote-unquote performance enhancing are the same across all sports, even in a sport as violent as MMA. Why do we draw the line between what is fair and unfair, natural and unnatural? Some medical procedures, such, a, such as modern ACL surgeries, that take tissue from cadavers could be and are considered quote-unquote performance enhancing. And surely any advantage a fighter has beyond what God gave him or her, whether it be cutting-edge uh, cutting surgical procedure or TRT, will be used toward the same end, beating their opponent's ass, doing damage, potentially causing irreparable harm. Perhaps contact sports are conveniently left out of Gladwell's essay, I admit. Still, I wonder if we aren't being as consistent in our judgment as we could be, and I wonder if regulation of PEDs isn't a more reasonable course of action than outright banning them. Discuss. Oh, yes. Ended with discuss. That's how you know it's a CME question. Um, I read this New Yorker essay. Did you read this? Yes, I did. Uh, and it deals mainly with, it talks about one dude who is a uh, cross-country skier in Norway or Finland. One of those yes. countries where they are the cross country same. skiers for our, for our purposes, they are the same country. <laughs> uh, sorry, and sorry, sorry, podcast. <laughs> oh, he had a he had a genetic mutation that made him his body make more red blood cells or something, and it made him a better cross country skier. Uh, and they also talked about cycling, you know, guys, uh, blood doping and stuff in cycling, and talking about the difference between you know what are inherent natural advantages that you have in sports uh things like uh 
surgeries like Tommy John surgery where you're able to get a, a cadaver ligament put in you? Is that considered performance enhancing? Or uh, Major League Baseball players, how it found that uh, Major League Baseball players typically have really great eyesight, which I guess he has to have to be able to, to hit a 100-mile-per-hour fastball and tell the difference between that and a, a slider right out of the guy's hand. Uh, but then can you go and get surgery, get LASIK surgery to improve your vision? Major League Baseball says, yes, you can. So where do we draw those, those kind of lines? It does provoke interesting questions. I think it's okay for us to admit that with a lot of performance-enhancing drug stuff, yes, we are drawing arbitrary lines. Um, the thing that matters, I think, is that we are saying we are drawing those lines and saying, "This is what you can do, and this is what you can't do." And if you say, if you agree to that and say, "All right, we can't do this, and we can do this," um, cheating is doing anything that you agreed that you couldn't do. Because if your opponent is playing by the rules, then he's not doing those things. And if you're doing them after everybody agreed not to, you're cheating. I mean, I, I get that it's arbitrary and like, hey, we can have a philosophical discussion about what is really truly cheating, but the line has been drawn and everybody knows where it is. I, I That part to me seems clear enough. Yeah. And it also probably is worth pointing out that we draw arbitrary lines in every situation that we are involved in, in an organized society, you know, drunk driving, we yeah. drew an arbitrary line there. Exactly. Or like, you know, you can't kill someone else unless that person is trying to do you some sort of harm. Then we think it's, it's okay. Or if they're in your house or if they're an unarmed black teenager, just walking through your neighborhood and you're in, in my Florida. house right now. So you're, watch your step. That's right. Or <laughs> watch my ass over here. Uh, and you know, Malcolm Gladwell is obviously a super smart dude. And I like a lot of the, the essays that he's written that I've re read in the past. Uh, this one, obviously I disagree with. And I think he, I don't know if he does it unwittingly, but he sort of kind of like explains what I see as the flaw in the, in his logic, even from the very beginning where he gives these examples about the cross country skiing guy who has the, uh, the high red blood cell count. He also gives the example of a high jumper who was really tall and had really, really long Achilles tendons yeah. that he was able to just jump you know, like seven foot three on his second ever high jump attempt or something like that. And I feel like the point of sports and the reason that we have it is that we want to watch these people with these unbelievable natural gifts go out there and do things that we couldn't do. You know, I, I'm not John Jones. I couldn't decide tomorrow. Well, my, my wife is having this baby, so I need to go make some money. I better become a professional fighter. Yeah, you would have done that by like, now. Yeah, if you could do that. absolutely would have done that by now. And then two years later, I'm the UFC light heavyweight champion and one of the greatest fighters in the world, right? I can't do that because I'm not John Jones. I don't have his natural physical gifts. And I feel like that's what sports is. What sports isn't is a contest to figure out who has the best doctor. Right? Yeah. Because that's what it would be if you if you uh, kick open the doors to performance enhancing drugs and you're like, all right, man, it's a free for all. Do whatever you essentially create a an open wheel racing indie car environment where it's like, <laughs> all right, well, who has the best garage? You know, yeah. is it going to be Ferrari this year? Are they going to pump as much money as they possibly can into making this this person the, the best fighter in the world with all of these groundbreaking drugs and whatnot? And to me, if you do that, well, then you've just unraveled the fabric of what sports actually is. Right. And I'm not sure we want to do that for a litany of reasons. Yeah. Well, and I feel like especially with combat sports, the we also have to come back around to if you're allowing these dudes to hit each other harder and recover faster and put themselves through more punishment, uh, aren't we down the road just doing them an even greater disservice? Um, because... Yeah, like testosterone can help you recover quicker from a workout, but it doesn't like heal your brain from concussions. Uh, so 
there are those questions that, that MMA has that other sports don't have. All right. Well, let's squeeze in this last question from Brady Carlson, who just keeps figuring out ways to get his questions read on the co-main event podcast. I respect that. He writes, hey, I love MMA as much as the next asshole, but doesn't it feel like these marathon cards on the wacky Fox Sports 1 are just a little bit too long? Take last the last fight night with Glover Tashira versus Ryan Bader. Those prelim fights sucked, and I wasn't such a, and if I wasn't such a diehard fan, I would have said fuck this before the main card even started. But luckily I didn't, so I didn't miss out on how awesome Joseph Benavidez, Ronaldo Souza, and Glover Tashira looked. The debut fight night card on FS1 was stacked with great fights and didn't feel like an endurance challenge, but this last one was exhausting. Is the UFC not doing itself any favors by putting elite fighters like those I mentioned above in the same spotlight as the guys who are clearly not on the same level? Now, see, we were going to use this question to transition into uh, an overall discussion about uh, the last fight night card because we're not going to dedicate it around, not going to dedicate a round to it this, this week, but um, we already talked so goddamn much about those other ones that I don't know that we really have time. Okay, well, let's do a quick one. Um, can we agree that Jacques Ray Souza looked fucking awesome? Yes. Damn near knocked Yushin Okami's head off. I'm sitting here right now doing the gator chomp. Yeah. No one can see it, but... I know you love you love that alligator dance. I do. It's thing, one of my favorite things crawl. in the sport. Were you sad that he didn't do it because he was A hurt? little bit, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I didn't were. see it because I was busy doing it in my in my room at home. <laughs> crawling, alligator crawling across the... Uh, Across the floor. Yeah, he looked awesome. Benavidez looked awesome. I feel like the one guy we might need to talk a little bit about is Glover Tashira. Yes. Because when I see this guy fight, and I don't know if this had struck me in his other UFC fights, but in this one against Ryan Bader, it did. Uh, obviously, he's he's got tremendous power, and he showed a little bit of grit and determination in, in knocking out Ryan Bader just on the cusp of where it appeared that he was going to be knocked out himself. But when I watch him fight, and especially in this fight, I really am reminded of Chuck Liddell. Like... I see him out there looking very stiff and just sort of like plodding along forward, uh, being very hittable himself. Pinky's out, just waiting to throw the bomb. <laughs> he doesn't do that. but <laughs> And then, you know, just uh, you, at whatever minute it is appropriate in the fight, he just knocks the other guy out and wins somehow, even though he didn't necessarily appear to be uh, the guy who was going to win that fight. And I don't know. I feel like, yes, Glover Tashir, a really, really good fighter. Very, he deserves to be in the top five of the light heavyweight division. Uh definite contender when i see him i don't think he's gonna beat john jones no well i also feel like maybe this was a fight where somebody at one point told glover Teixeira, hey man it's a showcase fight you're gonna go out there and knock ryan bader the fuck out and everybody's gonna cheer and it's gonna be happy times in brazil man that's what this fight is for and maybe he believed that a little too much um and so didn't didn't seriously consider the the threat that ryan bader could possess and then found himself in an oh shit this guy uh is actually a ufc fighter kind of situation um, but then, as you said, caught Bader getting a little too aggressive when he had him hurt against the fence, landed that one big punch and knocked him out. And even Teixeira, to his credit, afterwards said, you know, wasn't really happy with that fight. Uh, I don't think, you know, I, I looked that great in that one. It's hard for me to see how that makes him a, a top contender for John Jones. And it doesn't make me think, just as you said, that he stands any better chance of, of beating John Jones. Um, but one of the problems that John Jones presents is he's beat enough dudes in that top five that now you start to look at at the list and you get to a point where it's either, Hey, you promote somebody up ahead of maybe exactly what they've proven they deserve, or you start doing rematches and people are going to complain about either one of those things. So, uh, I, I can see the situation they're in as to the actual question about the marathon cards. 
true that this one turned out exactly as it looked on paper. Top three fights, awesome. Rest of the shit, mostly guys you haven't ever heard of. Except for the uh, Rafael Natal torturing uh, fight. That was awesome. Love to see two dudes just half, half guard sweeping the shit out of each other back and forth. You know I'm a sucker for that. Um, the rest of the fights, a lot of guys you never heard of, never, not really doing a whole lot. I think part of the problem, though, is that it, with the weird thing on Fox Sports 1, for one thing, for us in the one true time zone, it was a fight card that started on TV at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday, uh, where most people are at work. Uh, and it was like, you know, prelims are on Fox Sports 1, and then we transitioned to the main card on Fox Sports 1. So it did seem like just a really, like, five hours long of, of fights when really, like, hey, if those had been online or something, uh, that might have tempered your expectations accordingly. Yeah, and I'm not going to mind when Glover Teixeira gets to fight John Jones. I'll watch that. I think that's I think that's a perfectly reasonable fight. I just don't think he's going to win. No, neither do I. Anyway, that's going to do it for uh, listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern, an opinion that you want to air to the Co-Main Event podcast, you know how to get a hold of us. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. As for right now, we are going to roll straight into round number one. Well, Ben, there's a lot of ins and outs in this Johnny Hendricks, George St. Pierre drug testing story. So let's just see if we can lay it down for those people who are not paying as close of attention as, as some others might be. The way that I understand it, George St. Pierre originally offered to pay out of his own pocket for some enhanced drug testing leading up to his fight with Hendricks at UFC 167. And there was much rejoicing over this. Everyone thought it was great and and that George was was the greatest guy of all time. And then, uh, you know, through some 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 backroom uh, communications between the two camps and with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, it became apparent that St. Pierre actually has, I guess for lack of a better term, a borderline endorsement deal with uh, VADA, the uh, the voluntary anti-doping agency that, that he was going to use for the testing. Maybe. That, VADA says no, but okay. go on. All right. Uh, and that Johnny Hendricks's people balked at that. And they said, we don't want to do these drug tests with a company that you have a financial arrangement with. Right. And then George St. Pierre's people, well, Johnny Hendricks' people said, let's use WADA instead of VADA, which is the world anti-doping agency. Kind of. What happened was... Uh, you can they, see why we have to explain this. Yeah. Um, this happened apparently like in mid-August where uh, the, the, the UFC and the representatives for both fighters got on the phone with uh, Nevada State Athletic Commissioner, uh, Commission uh, Executive Director Keith Kaiser, kind of talking about their, their options for supplemental testing. And originally, uh, according to, to Keith Kaiser, it was Faraz Zahabi who said, oh, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, Vada is going to comp this stuff for us in exchange for them using uh, GSP's name and likeness on the website. Uh, which, in Keith Kaiser's words, left uh, Johnny Hendricks's manager, quote, very concerned. Uh, and you can understand why he would be uh, if, you know, they say, oh, don't worry, we got to deal with the people who are running the tests. You know, it's like having to deal with the people who count the votes. Uh, I can understand how you wouldn't be 
terribly excited about that. Um, the NSAC uh, has done uh, and is doing for a boxing match in October uh, supplemental testing that basically, you know, they do it through a WADA accredited lab in Salt Lake City and they test for the banned substances on the WADA list. Uh, and I talked to Keith Kaiser on the phone today about it and he was saying, you know, it costs a bunch of extra money, costs about 20 grand, um, but the, the Nevada Commission doesn't get that money, doesn't touch the money, you basically send it straight to the lab. Um, and they kind of just coordinate it through there. And that that was what Johnny Hendricks's people wanted to do. Go through that, you know, leave Vada out of it. Um, and then... And they wanted George St. Pierre to pay for it, right? Or no? Maybe they still wanted George St. Pierre to pay for it. Uh, unclear, because I don't know if they even really got that far on it. Because uh, but then the thing that really happens was uh, eventually it gets leaked out to French-Canadian uh, media... Johnny Hendricks is not doing Vada. Johnny Hendricks won't file his paperwork. Johnny Hendricks is, is pulled out of it. GSP is doing holding up his end of the deal. Johnny Hendricks won't hold up his, which kind of makes it look like, hey, Johnny Hendricks is the dirty one because he's scared of the extra testing while GSP is, is totally up front there. So you're saying this was leaked to the French-Canadian media? Huh? Yeah. What, huh. <laughs> yeah. I, wonder, I wonder who could have done that. Yes. Yeah. Huh, that's yeah. weird. Probably somebody in Johnny Hendricks' camp, I would think. Yeah. they, You know, the first sign of trouble, they call up their contacts in the French-Canadian media. Uh, so, you know, once that kind of public war of words started, then, you know, there's kind of no going back. Then, you know, Johnny Hendricks people are going to come out and say, no, F that. We wanted to do this. Uh, GSP's people were the shady ones trying to get us into this VADA thing, which they have an agreement with. We wanted to do something way more upstanding. And then it goes back and forth. And basically what we boil down to is uh, GSP, according to uh, VADA President Margaret Goodman, um, is already doing the VADA program. Johnny Hendricks isn't doing it. Uh, doesn't seem like anybody is doing the, the stuff through the WADA lab. Uh, Johnny Hendricks seems like he's just going to do whatever the Nevada Commission tells him to do. And instead, what we have mainly is a public pissing contest over this drug testing stuff. Doesn't really seem like it gets us any closer to cleaning up the sport so much as just guys fucking with one another in the media and, and playing mind games on each other in advance of the bout. And the bout's not until November. We got like three more months of this stuff. Yeah, and it's a bummer because it was kind of exciting to think that that two of these guys at the top of the sport were going to voluntarily stand up and say, hey, yeah, I'll take this additional drug testing. I've got nothing to hide. And frankly, even at this stage in the game, we should throw out there that we don't have any concrete reason to suspect that either of these guys has anything to hide. And I would frankly be surprised to find out that Johnny Hendricks was on any sort of performance-enhancing drugs, and I would be surprised to find out. And just frankly, didn't bore me, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I would, frankly, the little kid, the little kid MMA fan inside of me would would it would break his heart to find out that George St. <laughs> Pierre was. So let's let's hope that that we're right about all that stuff. We have no reason to believe that there's anything untoward about Vada. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, this is a huge bummer. And also a reminder, if you were looking for maybe a small little kernel of reason why a fighter's union probably will never get off the ground is that we have to remember <laughs> these dudes really are going to go out there and fight each other in a cage in a few months. And they will kind of do anything that they can to fuck with each other before then. Even this. Yeah. And see this, I want to believe started with good intentions. Uh, but yeah, I think George St. Pierre, like he told his kid, he was going to take him to the amusement park until he got there and saw how much it cost to get in. And then he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's going to cost how much to do this drug testing. We can and just he, stand out here in the parking lot, and watch the fireworks display once it gets dark, right? That's free. 
Yeah, I, you know, and I think that so far, like, I really like the idea of something like Vada in theory. But in practice, the way we keep seeing it used is Fighter A jumps up and says, I'm enrolling in Vada. And if my opponent doesn't do it, it's because he's a steroid-using dirty son of a bitch. Uh, and then, so, like, one guy suggests it, the other guy kind of gets coerced into doing it, or doesn't do it, and that's used as, like, a cudgel against him. Or it's somebody saying, like, I'm going to sign up for this, like, as kind of a public image campaign to prove, look how, like, what a clean fighter I am that I would sign up to do this thing. Uh, and I don't know if that actually gets us any closer to the stated goals of something like this. It just seems like it's a way for guys to, you know, get their version of the story out in the press and also fuck with one another a little bit. Yeah, God, if only there were a strong centralized force in this sport that could... I don't know, like maybe write it into its contracts or something <laughs> that everyone that was going to work for this strong centralized sport would have to undergo uh, Olympic style drug testing from the world anti-doping agent. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Uh, I wish that something like that could happen, but it just doesn't seem like we're headed in that direction right now. But who, Chad? Who? That's the problem, man. If only there was some Santa Claus type individual out there <laughs> that could handle this. Uh, before we wrap up, I saw in the the Stephen Morocco story on MMA Junkie some quotes from Keith Kaiser uh, that didn't look like he was doing George St. Pierre's people any favors. I don't know if you have those uh, in front of you over there or not, but uh, it, it was just kind of a weird turn from uh, Keith Kaiser, arguably the most powerful government administrator in combat sports, uh, that didn't seem like he came away with this from this exchange with a high opinion of the people who were working behind the scenes for George St. Pierre. Well, uh, in fairness, before I read that quote in question, when I talked to Keith Kaiser, he, Keith Kaiser, he went out of his way to say that, hey, he had no reason to think that uh, GSP or Hendricks had anything to hide and that they were even personally all that involved in what was going on, but that when he was talking to George St. Pierre's representatives and they were asking a lot of questions about what the guys would be tested for and how many times and when, uh, here's the quote I believe you're referring to. From Kaiser. They were asking, well, what do you test for? My answer is always the same. We test for prohibited substances as listed on the WADA list. They said, well, what does that mean? Does that mean HGH? Does that mean this? Does that mean that? Yes, it means it all. The answer then should have been okay. And of course, the answer then was not okay. Um, but again, if I'm going to take those drug tests, I would probably ask the same questions anyway, even if I was clean, just to find out. Yeah, but then the problem is, if from a regulator standpoint, you don't want to answer too many of those questions because uh, the more information you give the testee, the easier you make it for them to get around the test. Or the more information you give them, the more reason you might give them to just say, you know what, maybe we don't want to do that after all, especially if it's kind of this optional voluntary thing. Uh, and it's the same reason why in the past when I've asked Vada, uh, hey, how much would it cost for a fighter to, to do your program? They won't say exactly. They won't say you know, $5,500 per person, they'll give you like a range, you know, like four to $6,000 or something or like, you know, eight to $10,000 because, and the reasoning that I've been given in the past was if we put an exact dollar number on it, then the fighters might be able to do the math and figure out what you'd be tested for or how many times. And we don't want to give them that kind of information uh, more than we have to. Um, and so it seems like a reasonable stance for the athletic commission to just be like, look, we're not going to play this, this guessing game with you where we detail exactly what you're going to be tested for and when just know that if it's on that 
prohibited substances list, it shouldn't be in your body and that you, you agree that you may be tested for that thing. Uh, and of course we know how it ended up with, uh, neither fighter agreeing to do it. And that's a bummer. I wish they were going to do that testing. I guess it just seems like at this point, they're not going to do it. It'll still be fun to watch them fight, but, uh, I was looking forward to, uh, just being worry free. Yeah, just one night, one. one night where you could just yeah. sit back with just a clean, a of damn mind, conscience. Man, you know? Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. Sir Nigel Longstock's here. We're going to play a little Master Tweet Theater. That's coming up next. And after that, we're going to get straight into round number two. And now we welcome back to the show, friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock. Sir Nigel, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am ready like Freddy. Which Freddy? Uh, the one that kills you in a dream. Oh, okay. Well, he was ready. Yes, he was. One thing you could not accuse that Freddy of being was, you know, off his game. Uh, those of you who don't know how this works, Sir Nigel's going to read off some tweets from people in the MMA sphere. Chad and I will probably guess Sean McCorkle or... Slight variances thereof, uh, and a good time will be had by all. So, Sir Nigel, when you're ready, uh, first of all, I guess I should ask: Is there a theme? You know, there there is a theme. That sounds really confident. Oh yes, the theme is pastimes. Pastimes, huh? Pastimes. I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but haven't a lot of the themes been like leisure time pursuits? Other things like basically synonyms for pastimes. And many of the themes have been very broad as well, since <laughs> nearly anything could qualify as a pastime. That's true. It's almost as if Twitter was something you did when you had nothing better to do. <laughs> <clears throat> Tweet the first. <clears throat> There's a rainbow over Harley Fest. Seems a little off-brand, but I like rainbows. And then a picture of a rainbow. Okay, so this was in Milwaukee for UFC 164, probably, where I had... Had all the crazy bikers in town wagging their tongues at the camera. Uh, I'm going to say Matt Mitrione, just to get it out of the way. Uh, I really have no idea. I guess I'm going to guess uh, Milwaukee native Danny Downs, who we know is there. Okay. Hmm, both fine guesses, both grounded in what can only be termed lazy deduction, and both wrong. It is Herb Dean. Oh, wow. <laughs> UFC referee Herb Dean liking rainbows. You know, great to see that Herb Dean, even his tweets, remains as close to impartial as you can on rainbows. <laughs> Not taking a side too hard in either direction. He just, he just let that rainbow eat a couple of shots before he got in there, see if it would... Get up or whatever. Hey, you know, he wants to give that rainbow the opportunity to fight back. That's uh, that's Herb Dean's first appearance, I believe, in Master Tree Theater. That's a real shame. Yes, it is. And I have erroneously identified him as a UFC ref. He is an independent referee. He could easily referee a, a strike for, well, no. Or, <laughs> hmm, well, some kind of other event. All right, let's move on. <clears throat> Tweet the second. Cat fight! Women always get nasty in the cage. Most vicious animal on the planet. Human female. Hashtag moms. Well, either this is a 
a female fighter who is enthusiastic and maybe, you know, doesn't fully consider the the connotations of, of that tweet, or it's a real asshole dude. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be generous and assume it's the former and say Kat Zingano. Oh, that's who I was going to say. God damn it. Now I have to think of another female fighter. Uh, Sarah McMahon. You could have just gone the asshole dude uh, route. I'm trying to steer clear of that. Okay. Both fine guesses, both definitely women, and both wrong. It is Uriah Faber. Oh, wow. other theory was correct, sir. (laughs) Well, Well, at least we can assume he did so good-naturedly. Yeah. Well, uh, based on what I see of him in commercials, authoring a book and simultaneously reading up about Abraham Lincoln. Just carrying on the UFC's tradition of being mistakenly sort of patronizing and weirdly just weird about women fighting. Yeah. Like, did you catch in uh, the beginning of this season of Ultimate Fighter when Dana White tells the male fighters, you don't want to get shown up by the ladies? Yeah, I did catch that. Yeah, We'll talk about that <laughs> later on. You know, it's also possible I read the tweet wrong, and instead of it being cat fight, he was cheering on Cat Zingano with cat fight! Except Cat Zingano's not on. This season, because she got injured. She's injured, yeah. Yes, well, I was just trying to give him the benefit. He's an asshole. There's two ways about it. Mm, tweet the third. I'm trying to watch Ridiculousness, but the amount of commercials on MTV is insane! Okay, well, now I feel old, because I don't know what Ridiculousness is. Chad, do you know? Yeah, it's uh, the show with uh, Rob Deerdeck, UFC fan, Rob Deerdeck. Okay. It's like a uh, an internet clip show. Well, I know from my viewing of uh, Teen Mom that the commercials are on MTV are pretty obnoxious and numerous. Would you go as far as to say that they are insane? I would not. I would not go that far. Uh, okay, I'm going to say hip youngster Anthony Pettis. God, that's what I was going to say again. Maybe you should start going first here. You think you know so goddamn much. Who else is, who else is young? <laughs> I, I'm going to go uh, hip young fighter Sergio Pettis. Oh, come on. Younger than your fighter. Like Sir Nigel even know how to find Sergio Pettis' Twitter. Yes, first of all, who the fuck is Sergio Pettis? <laughs> Second of all, both fine guesses, both as usual wrong. It's in fact what? hip young fighter Chris Laban. Oh, uh, damn it. Come on. Leave it. He's over 30. Come on. Yeah, replacement hip young fighter. Oh! Wow, Sir Nigel, is he's not messing around this week. He's throwing uh, knockout shots here. <laughs> kill shots. Big kill shots, as Josh Barnett would say. We should point out that the opinions of Sir Nigel Longstock do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the co-main event podcast. We do not think Uriah Faber is an asshole. No. No, he seems to be mostly a nice dude. Huge head, though. Enormous. See, this is what I'm talking about. That's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. He's like a really muscular (laughs) Q-tip. Tweet the fourth. I have a complicated relationship with time. It's a force that does things to us we can do nothing about. Okay, go first this time. Poet Philip Baroni. (laughs) All right. um, Was that who you were going to say? Well, see, it sucks going second, doesn't it? I'm going to say... Um, the basically mirror image of Poet Philip Baroni, War Machine. Huh. He is the mirror image of <laughs> Philip Baroni, and he is not the author of this tweet. It is the poet Philip Baroni. Yes! Describing time as a force, which is why he is not the physicist Philip Baroni. <laughs> I prefer to think of time as a line. Time that's, is a progression. That's just me. Time is an illusion, sir. Age ain't nothing but a number. <laughs> 
<clears throat> Tweet the fifth. Nah, fuck that. I'm fighting Pettis. God damn you. That's Nate Diaz. Yeah, that is. That's Nate Diaz. It is. It is Nate Diaz fighting Pettis, possibly. If I mean, if he gets his way, I suppose. Now who's lazy, huh? That was a lazy pick. Well, all I can say about this Master Tweet Theater is that, thank God it's over. So, Nigel, what do you got going on? You know, it's funny you should ask, yeah, sir. Yeah, it is. I'm working with rapper Kanye West on his reimagining of a classic children's fantasy film. It's called The Dark Crystal. <laughs> and, and what could you possibly have to contribute to such a project? You know, I actually don't know what I'm playing, but it has a huge nose. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Just a, just a nose out there. I'm also on Mr. West's beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy football team. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was Master Tweet Theater, and that was Sir Nigel Longstock. Thank you, sir. Chad, after UFC Fight Night 28, as I'm sure you already know, the UFC debuted season 18 of The Ultimate Fighter, the little reality show that could just keeps going and going does and going. not quit. This time, a little bit of a wrinkle. Women are involved, including female coaches Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate. Other than that, though, at least from the first episode where it's just fights and fights and fights and people in hotel rooms talking about fights seem like basically it's going to be the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except it does seem like we're going to get a lot of like awesomely unaware condescension uh, from just about everybody towards yeah. the female fighters. Yeah. It really left me feeling like as I was watching it, I wish they'd just done female fighters on this season. I wish, I don't know why, like, couldn't have had it just an all-female cast Why there had to be male fighters in there, like the dude trying to claim that he has no idea who Misha Tate is. I, I, I don't understand. I mean, I feel like that would have felt like more compelling to me. Yeah, well, we probably should have been able to guess that it was going to be kind of weird when we saw those commercials where uh, Dana White was like, oh, they're hungry badasses, and they're here to kick ass and take names, and that's just the women. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's been pretty awkward over on the UFC side of things since uh, since adding female fighting to the, uh, to the portfolio, I guess you would say. It doesn't seem like that's going to end anytime soon, but uh, I think while you're right, it is the same show, the same show that we've seen 17 times before. <laughs> I don't think it even counts like the Brazil ones. Yeah. Uh, which I know you're a big fan of. I'm a little bit hopeful for the quality of the female fighter that's showing up on this, this season of the ultimate fighter, just because I guess in theory, you could say the women's division is still at the point where uh, the men's divisions were when they first started the Ultimate Fighter. True. Granted, you're probably dealing with a slightly shallower crop of athlete to begin with, but like, remember on those early uh, Ultimate Fighters, since it was sort of an untapped resource for the UFC at that point, you saw guys like Chris Lieben, Diego Sanchez, uh, Joe Stevenson on a real early. Jason Thacker. 
strange brew. Uh, that's right. Known commodity, Jason Thacker. Uh, but you know, you're, you're in that same position with the women where like they haven't had a tough before. So you're able to have, uh, some of the female fighters who have high level experience, people you, whose names, you know, who you've seen fight before, uh, on the show. Uh, and I think that that, you know, gives us some reason to believe that maybe we'll get some good fights out of this season of the that's, Ultimate Fighter. That's true. And also made it so that it was tough to even get on the house or, you know, get into the, the real cast inside the, the yeah, house dude. on that cast. Like Colleen Schneider, who's an accomplished fighter, and she has to fight Shayna Baszler just to get in the house. I mean, that's kind of a screw job there. Yeah. Jesus, that's a tough one. You got to you tell me you got to beat Shayna Baszler just to get into the competition? Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's... That probably sucked for some of the women that were there. I mean, even if you got to fight Roxanne uh, Mataferi, that's if you're the the Scandinavian woman that they had her fight in the in the in the elimination round. You got to kind of be like, well, fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> you just got done giving us this speech about how I've been waiting my whole life for this opportunity. Now I show up and I got to fight this woman that I watched fight on Showtime before. Well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you know th- that I guess is part of the stuff that made me wish, like, hey. But if you could just focus on the, the women and because it, when you contrast it, like I've heard of so many of these female fighters and virtually none of the male fighters, uh, it, it seems like it's going to it a does the women a little bit of disservice by detracting some of the tension away from them and then takes even more attention away from the male fighters. Like it's going to be hard to, to stand out as a male fighter in that season just because you've got women at it who have been doing it for so much longer than you have in a lot of cases. Yeah. And it also creates like a weird unseemly vibe. Don't you think like no one's sitting at home being like, Oh, they put, they're going to put men and women together in this house because as reality TV show producers, you do things for the right reasons. Yeah, that, that is true. Uh, and it doesn't seem like the UFC is necessarily shying away from that implication there because I mean, it's reality TV and they're all about the ratings and stuff. Uh, even though, at least initially, it doesn't seem like ratings are super awesome. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. I'm not a huge ratings guy, and I know that you're not really either, but we've had several media outlets report this week that this was the lowest-rated tough debut ever, garnering an average of 762,000 viewers. It just got How? killed by Duck Dynasty, in case you were wondering. <laughs> I mean, you just you start saying stuff like that, it just and got I'm just hammered by going. the Dynasty. How many people? What turned on the TV? <laughs> And I, this trend goes in concert with uh, UFC Fight Night ratings on Fox Sports 1, uh, which set a high watermark with its debut when they got 1.7 million uh, and has since been declining in viewership for every show that they've done, uh, finishing up with the most recent Fight Night card where Glover Tashira fought Ryan Bader, which averaged 539,000 viewers. And, you know, I, maybe that's not unexpected because I think we, we probably uh, could have forecasted that the debut would get a good solid number because people wanted to tune in and see the UFC's new home on Fox sports one. And then you would probably see this, this drop off after, after that. Uh, but I guess no matter which way you slice it, it ain't good. I mean, I'm not going to come out and say it's a, it's a, it's an emergency or anyone's needs to hit the panic button, but it's not, it's not good news. I do feel like this is a situation where we need to be concerned about this or are those ratings going to start creeping back up? Well, I think it's a, a lot of it is a consequence of look how much UFC there was on Fox Sports 1 in the last like 10 days. You know, they had, what, 35 fights in the span of eight days and that doesn't count the Ultimate Fighter, uh, which was just two hours of straight fights, basically. I mean, I feel like... 
And then they put them all on the internet after that. Yeah, even the ones that Dana White had come out and said just plain sucked. (laughs) Uh, I feel like part of it is going to be that when, like, Fight Night is kind of a special deal. But the more of it there is, there's there's one on Wednesday and then Saturday and then the Wednesday after that, the less special any one fight starts to feel. And it also is stuff for people to to keep up, even the people who really want to keep up. It's kind of like, man, at some point you got a life to live, you know, and, you know, maybe a DVR and maybe you get around to watching it or maybe you read about it and then you figure, OK, I heard what happened. I, I, I don't really necessarily need to go back and see it. You just make it hard for people to to stay plugged into it entirely. And I, I mean, I understand why they're doing it. Fox sports one's a new channel. UFC is probably the best thing it has going for it. Unless though, I know Chad, you're a big fan of that Regis Philbin show where they are going to talk to crowd uh, goes wild. Yeah. We're going to have celebrities on and ask celebrities what they think about sports. You grew up in Cleveland. Do you like the Browns and like so on for 45 minutes? Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're Fox Sports 1, I'm sure that when you're starting out, give us as much UFC as you can give us because that's a thing, you know, live sports that we have that's that's unique to us that will drive viewership and drive like the young male viewership, uh, really help them kind of get off the ground. I get that. And I feel like maybe that's why the UFC is going to take a temporary hit with ratings and stuff for, for stuff like this. Uh, but at the same time, I mean... W- even this ultimate fighter, which had a special hook, you know, the female fighters, female coaches that got me into it more than, you know, any recent season of the ultimate fighter. I tuned in and watched it not live, of course, because what the hell do I look like? But I still, it's the kind of thing where for those of us who have seen this shit for so long, that, that new wrinkle can only take you so far. I can already see the midway through the season it being like, all right, I'll read a recap on the internet, but I don't really want to watch that again because I've just seen it all, man. I've been in that house so long. I've seen it. Yeah, and another thing about having seen this go down 17 times before is I started even on just on this first episode to get a sort of Brock Lesnar slash Matt Hughes feel from Ronda Rousey. That's a, Where that's a those fact. guys went on that show – and I mean, before that show, Matt Hughes, maybe because he had never had exposure like that, was sort of a beloved UFC champion. He was. And then it totally changed. And then after that, every time he showed up, he got booed out of the building. And it was because he just looked like a fucking smoking asshole <laughs> on The Ultimate Fighter. And I don't think things are going to go quite that bad for Ronda Rousey. I mean, she's got her fan base that 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 is going to support her probably no matter what. But I also wonder, as we've talked about on the show before, if a full season of reality television is going to turn out to be the right format by which to promote here yeah. because it doesn't seem like it on the first episode. It seems like she's going to come off kind of poorly. Yeah. And she's already worried about that from things yeah, that she's, she's been openly talking about it, which leads you to believe it's probably not going to be good for her. Yeah. And on the other side of the, of the coin, you've got Misha Tate who appeared to be, to have the far more engaging and maybe even likable personality on this first episode though, while they were all sitting there watching the fights together and Misha Tate like kept throwing her two cents in, just from the scenes that they showed, I got the vibe that Ronda Rousey and Dana White were both like, all right, Misha, that's enough. <laughs> That'll be quite enough, Misha. Yeah, but I, you know, I just wonder, like, are, are we going to come out of this with a, uh, a somewhat less than rosy view of the person that the UFC is trying to use as its uh, top draw in that division? Yeah, I mean, not that I think that it will necessarily have any bearing on the fight when they eventually rematch, but I do get the sense that our opinions uh, of both coaches, it's going to be like the way we thought of Matt Hughes after seeing him uh, on The Ultimate Fighter versus the way we thought of Matt Sarah after seeing him on The Ultimate Fighter. Right. 
where we couldn't get enough Matt Sarah. Oh, yeah. You're breathing, Ben. <laughs> ben, you've been here a million times before. <laughs> Love that guy. All right. Well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then uh, we'll move on to round number three. Uh, ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Some of the uh, the thunder was stolen by Sir Nigel, who rolled in here with his lazy selection for Master Tweet Theater. But my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? goes out to Nate Diaz, who gets on his Twitter and responds to news that he's been booked in another fight with Gray Maynard by saying, nah, fuck that, I'm fighting Pettis. Great tweet, by the way. No, you're not. <laughs> Have you lost your damn mind? No, you're not fighting Pettis. You fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? And there wasn't even anything more to it, like, to explain, like, No, that's one of the things that was great about it. You're fucking kidding me, man. Uh, well, you know, just to stick with a the theme, Ben, uh, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week concern, also concerns Anthony Pettis because you know, you know that I'm a fan of Anthony Pettis' lifestyle. Yeah, especially how well-groomed he is. You, you mentioned that in an unsettling number of times. If you want to make a fan out of me, after you win the UFC title, go out to the club, unbutton your shirt, and have a picture taken where you've got the UFC title on one shoulder and the WEC title on the other shoulder. I'm all in. After that, you and me, we're going places straight to, to, to the top, frankly. But I will say I felt like it was a little bit of overkill this week when the new UFC lightweight champion put a picture of his iced out watch that he just bought on Twitter and personally, by name, thanked his jeweler publicly, <laughs> which I guess as an aside, I should say, if you even have a jeweler. Yeah. You clearly were not following the advice that we handed out last week that you think about a Roth IRA and maybe a, a health savings account. Just saying, if you know your jeweler's name but not your accountant's, maybe that's a bad sign. Yeah. Secondly, man, you know, it's 2013. I need to wonder aloud if, if Anthony Pettis knows that if he wants to know what time it is, he can just look at his phone. He doesn't need an iced out wristwatch that looks like he probably spent six figures on it. But I just want to say... Are you fucking kidding me with the wristwatch, Anthony Pettis? <laughs> I hope you're saving just some of that money, man. Some of it. Yeah, you don't want to like a scene from Raging Bull where you're trying to pry the diamonds off of that wristwatch, take them to a pawn shop. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Ben, Bellator opened its new fall season this past week with what was a legitimately pretty entertaining main event uh, between Alexander Schlemenko and, and Brett Cooper for the organization's middleweight title. Unfortunately, it kind of seems like nobody cared because the only things that anybody wants to talk about is all of the extracurricular bullshit that's going on with Bellator, which this card was not immune to, now, by the way. In fairness, there's a lot of extracurricular bullshit. With both Joe Warren and Joe Riggs getting pulled off the card uh, at the last minute. People are concerned with that. People are concerned with the Tito Ortiz Rampage Jackson fight and their... Uh, their subsequent appearances on TNA wrestling bull peen fucking hammer. People are concerned about the, the company apparently ready to let Ben Askren walk as well as this week, uh, 
President Bjorn Rebney throwing nags. <laughs> throwing nags, as his, Chad likes to say. At, at his former uh, welterweight champion. Uh, people are still kind of tied up with the Eddie Alvarez thing. It has been a pretty bad few months for Bellator in the PR department. Ben, do you think that we are at the point where Bellator just cannot come back from all this stuff? I don't know about that. I, I would say that we are at the point where it seems like any Bellator news is bound to be bad news. I didn't even mention the thing about uh, the light heavyweight champ, right? Coming out and saying he wasn't hurt. Right. The light heavyweight contender. Right. Attila Vey, yeah. Well, okay. Let's talk first about this fight, the Brett cooper Slomenko fight, uh, which, good fight. I'm going to say yeah. good, good little fight. Good little fight. However, fun, fun little fight. I feel like some people have a tendency. I saw people on the internet before I, I saw this fight. You sent me a helpful link uh, to uh, like a video to the fight. With the uh, play-by-play in Russian. With the play-by-play by play entirely in Russian. So helpful. Thank you, Chad, for I that. I thought you would want to experience it as the Shlomenkos did. <laughs> uh, and before I, I saw the fight, I saw people on the internet talking about how this was a fight of the year candidate. And so I was like, oh, boy. And I watch it, and I'm like... That's a pretty good fight. I mean, that would be that would probably be fight of the night uh, if it was on a you know a UFC fight night or uh, or even a pay per view. But uh, no, I'm not going to consider that fight of the year. I feel like people do the thing with Bellator where they they're like, oh well, you know, if if they do something good, it'll prove that I I'm not a a Zufa nut hugger. Uh, oh, but it, you are though. I've if read I, the comment section. If I go out of I my way, I know what's up with you. To 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 pump it up or, or to really go out of my way to give Bellator its daps there. Um, which just because Bellator is not winning in the MMA arms race, it doesn't make it any, you know, less shilly or more cool, uh, to, to do that for them as opposed to for the UFC. Good fight. Yeah. Not, not great fight. Not greatest fight of the year. No, I agree with you. For me, it was a lot easier to give Bellator its propers back in the day when it was this, you know, unassuming little MMA company that just kept putting on really awesome fights pretty much every time I would turn it on yeah. to watch. Dudes are hitting inverted triangles That's and shit. That's right, yeah. Submission of the year and whatnot. Uh, I feel distracted by this other shit. I feel like that the moment Bellator decided that being you know, a, a small fish in this pond wasn't good enough, if, if they did indeed decide that, uh, that they started all of this really bad news snowballing around them. And frankly, that's kind of unfair because who's to say that Bellator should be happy being a, a quiet, unassuming little uh, MMA company that doesn't want to make the UFC mad. I mean, if that's where you are in life, that's kind of crappy. Uh, if Just you're, a mom and pop yeah, MMA organization. Yeah, an MMA organization. Uh, so I do feel like that is an, an unfair opinion. But at the same time, man, they just started a lot of bullshit. And, and I felt better when I didn't know, when I didn't know that, that, that they were going to try to screw over Eddie Alvarez, allegedly, in some people's opinions. Or throw or some negs at Ben Askren. That's right. <laughs> Can you explain throwing negs to our, our listening audience? Oh, I audience? assume our listening audience has already watched the pickup artist. I had not heard it until you uh, mentioned it in a bar a couple days ago. On VH1 that was on a couple years ago. But yeah, throwing negs, from what I understand, <laughs> is a uh, 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 some terminology used in the pickup community, which may or may not be a real community, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it involves trying to pick up a member of the opposite sex by uh, casually and uh, playfully insulting them so that they feel like they have to impress you in some way, which is I feel like is what Bjorn Rebney was doing to Ben Askren, where he was like, I mean, we all know he's just ridiculously one-dimensional and he's really really good at that one dimension but you know 
Some people think it's boring. Some people think that. Some people find it absolutely intolerable. Anyhow, we'll see how these contract renegotiations go. <laughs> yeah, you know, and as has been mentioned before, uh, I think we talked about, I can't remember, I think it was somebody on Twitter who, who made the point that it does seem like Bellator is kind of in this situation where we've got this perception of them as t- totally willing to fuck with their own fighters, um, either to keep them or to not keep them. And it's like, you can't win anymore at this point. And it does seem like we're so ready to believe any bad news we hear about Bellator right now, or any kind of shady dealings. Like, you know, a guy comes out and says, oh, I wasn't really hurt. You know, they, they made me sit and, and pretended I was hurt. And because of what we've already heard or like perceptions that we've already got about Bellator, we we just seize on that and it's like, okay, that must be true. It's in fitting with this narrative. You know, it's like, you know, anything you were to hear right now regarding like Anthony Weiner and a sex scandal. Okay, I'll believe that because it already, it just fits. Uh, I wonder, I mean, I don't know if that's the kind of thing that torpedoes your entire organization when you talk about can they come back from that. I do wonder if it's the kind of thing though where can you ever change, fully change that perception problem? And And if so, God, it's got to take a long time, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that they really can. That's why I asked you that question at the beginning of the round is that I feel like this is honestly the kind of snowball effect that I'm not sure Bellator can come back from just because, you know, in the for a lot of people, they probably didn't even really know who what Bellator was. And if they did, Bellator certainly wasn't on their radar on a week-by-week basis. Now, like, the, essentially for those people, their first impression, their first real impression of Bellator is as this company that – they think did all of this underhanded shit and is booking this circus fight for its first pay-per-view. And I feel like that first impression and that opinion of Bellator is going to be a thing that is going to be hard and maybe even impossible to fully shake. Uh, And I think you're right to say that if they can get away from it, it's going to take an awful damn long time. And frankly, I don't even know how you get away from it. Yeah, because it's really hard to make like, hey, we don't treat our fighters shitty into like a, a news headline. It's hard to really get credit for, like, doing the stuff that we would hope that you're supposed to do anyway. Yeah, and I guess maybe just in the, from a competition standpoint, they could get away from it if they suddenly started putting out awesome high-level pay-per-views. But we already know that the card for their first pay-per-view is going to feature every single person that they could possibly have that could potentially be a pay-per-view draw for them. So it's like, I don't know how you go from that to... to even having a second pay-per-view, let alone suddenly becoming a player in that in that space. Right. Or how uh, they went from, we're not going to just pick up UFC cast-offs to just picking up UFC cast-offs one after another. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, to me, it feels like a situation like where the more we find out about Bellator, the uglier it gets. And I yeah, but you're a Zufa nut hugger. So. That's true. I've read the comment section. I was, I was a little bit happier not knowing how the Bellator sausage was made personally. I bet you were. Anyway, let's do just saying stuff, Ben. And then, uh, We'll get out of here for this week. Ben, this week, uh, my just saying stuff, eh, not really MMA related, but uh, I assume you saw that Floyd Mayweather is going to get paid $41.5 million to fight Canelo Alvarez. I did. And did you also see that that pay-per-view is, I don't know if expected, but it may break pay-per-view records. We'll see. Did you also see on on Twitter when ESPN boxing reporter... Dan or uh, Dan Raphael. Dan Raphael yes. asked Dana White if he could foresee the day where a UFC fighter would make forty-one point five million dollars in a fight. I did not see that. Dana White responded, "Yes, 
He could foresee that day. To which I respond, A, that seems like good news. And B, if we ever get to the day where a UFC fighter is making $41.5 million for an appearance on one pay-per-view, good God, I hope they tell us about it. Because I would want to know. That would make me feel better. Then I wouldn't have to just live the rest of my life thinking we've got situations where David Mitchell gets paid $10,000 to get uh, knocked out by Mike Pierce at UFC 162 two months ago. Because that would mean that David Mitchell would have to fight 4,150 times to even make the money that Floyd Mayweather is going to make at one fight. So I'm just saying, please, if, if the day ever comes where a UFC fighter is going to make that kind of money, just tell me about it. And then, and then I will shut the fuck up about this fighter pay situation. I promise. I'm just saying. These guys don't want you to know what they make, Chad. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's yeah, for their own Because personal... their relatives will ask for some money, so they don't want them... They don't want that information out there. It's for privacy reasons yeah. is what it is. Well, Chad, I'm just saying, good God, how awesome slash scary is Shayna Baszler? Did you see her on the debut episode of The Ultimate Fighter? And, I mean, I'm not even just talking about the parts where she looks in the camera and says, remember, I'm not in the house with you. You're in the house with me because that's scary. Mm-hmm. But also her insightful moments when she points out that, hey, for female fighters coming into the sport now, it's easy to be hungry now when the feast is at the table. But Shayna Baszler and a lot of these other women were back there when the best you could do is table scraps. So basically, look out, bitches, because Shayna Baszler is an OG in this shit. I'm just saying, Shayna Baszler seems pretty goddamn awesome, and I look forward to a full season of that. Also, Hope to never be alone in a locked room with Shayna Baszler because she frightens me. Just saying. Just saying. Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to talk about a bunch more ridiculous MMA stuff. As for right now, we're done. We're through. We are out. Your problem is you're just sitting over there peacocking in your green shirt. Just trying to be the, the, the bell of the ball. Well, wait, wait till I get back from going to see my jeweler after we're done here. Jesse the jeweler. Joey, Joey the jeweler. I feel like if you're going to be